0: you would like us as a church to pray for you please email prayer at springmount.church. or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox okay for those of you who um haven't been last week or haven't been before we uh, look at regular series and over christmas we've got three weeks um where we're going to look at the case for christmas i thought it was appropriate um I've done a bit of digging around some of the books that I've read that I think are really helpful. Uh, If you're a book reader and you want to look at some more, then The Case for Christ is a really good book. Um, The Case for the Creator is a really good book. Um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell is a really good book. And Cold Case Christianity is also a really good book because they just research the facts and they look at the truth. So last week, if you weren't here, if you didn't watch on stream, last week we looked at Eyewitness Evidence. And what we talked about was that any historian worth their salt has said The Gospels are accurate, that the New Testament in particular is dated very, very close to the events happening. And so actually, you can trust it compared to other historical accounts of people that you wouldn't even think about not trusting, if you like. So we looked at eyewitnesses. Luke's Gospel said that many were talking about what had happened. It said that he'd carefully researched it, that he'd interviewed eyewitnesses, and he wanted to be certain it was all true so he could report it to his friend So he could be certain. So that was what we thought about last week. And the fact that there are eyewitnesses, and actually in the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a whole list of over 500 people, 500 people that saw Jesus, if you like. Not 500 complete list of names, but over 500 people that saw Jesus after he died and resurrected. And that was dated to within two or three years of it happening. So that's quite amazing, isn't it? So today, we're going to look at another type of evidence that's used to find a verdict. And it's fingerprint evidence. Now you might go, well, have you got a piece of wood off the cross that Jesus held? No, I haven't. You'll you'll become clear. But every single fingerprint is unique, yeah? Yeah. And fingerprint details, if you watch any crime programs or if you watch any court things, fingerprints often are one of the slam dunks, aren't they? If you've got fingerprints there, it proves they were there, you can guarantee that that is unique. Even identical twins have unique fingerprints. Even though they're identical, their fingerprints aren't. So your fingerprints are only yours, nobody else's. In fact, apparently, earprints are also unique. So be careful when you go and listen up against windows. And being nosy because people will be able to suss you out. But what you might say, has fingerprint evidence got to do with Jesus being born, Jesus living, Jesus dying and Jesus resurrecting? How how are we going to find fingerprint evidence to show the truth of Christmas and who Jesus was? Well, I just want to do a little quick experiment, okay? Um, Laura, come on. (laughs) I know you'll love this. No, you're not. Okay. So this is Laura, everybody. want to say hello, Laura. Okay. Right, Laura, I just want you to think. I've not, I've not primed this, have I? If I'd have primed her, she'd have gone. So I've not primed her. I want you just to think in your head of a number. Okay? We'll, 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 can you think of numbers? Is that okay? Laura's a social oh, I shouldn't say that, should I, have on the camera. Is that okay? You're going to get a shot. I want you to think of a number, Laura, between one and ten. It can include one and ten. Okay. Have you thought of one? Don't tell us what it is. Yes, you've thought of one. Right. So what are the chances that I ask somebody to tell me what number Laura has thought of? 10%. It's quite a low percentage, isn't it? Okay? So I'm gonna ask Ian, what number do you think Laura has thought of? You can't change it, okay? Is that the right number? Yeah. No. What a failure. Okay, sorry, not Ian. Sorry. I do apologize. It is, my friend, he's not a failure, he's wonderful. So that was wrong, let's ask somebody else. Philip, give me a number. Is that right? Okay, so two are gone. So can you see how hard this is, this little game? Okay, Naomi. No. Steve, this Steve's her husband. Let's see if Steve's on the same wavelength. Go on. Oh, <laughs> that, well, that's a stupid number to pick, isn't it? <laughs> what a stupid number to pick between one and 10? Uh, Robert, give us a number. Three. He's just said three, you're not listening. Go on, give us another one. We've had seven, you're not listening. (laughs) Two, right, two, no. So we've had two, we've had three, we've had seven, we've had eight. Marie? Five. No, is it one? Six. You know what numbers come between one and 10, don't you? Nine, right, okay. Now, don't applaud. That was rubbish. But Laura, what the reason for doing that is to show that actually, can you see how hard it is to get something that's 1 in 10? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty, you know, even though we could have hit it right on the nail, there was still only a 10% chance of that happening. And actually, the chance got bigger and bigger and bigger, but we still struggled. Yeah? So actually, the chances of matching that number that Laura had thought of were pretty small. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Laura. You can now go and sit down. The next time you'll see Laura is when she's getting baptised. That's right, isn't it? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> okay. So fingerprint evidence is something that is unique. And actually, in the Bible, there are predictions, what we call prophecies, that are unique to the Messiah. In the Old Testament, there are more than four dozen prophecies about, uh, about Jesus. or about the Messiah, about the Christ, about who the Messiah was going to be. So those prophecies, when put together about the birth, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus, when you put together over 48 prophecies, particularly strong ones, then actually that could only possibly form a fingerprint match to one person. Would you agree? If one person matched 48 things perfectly, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Bearing in mind, we couldn't get a number between one and ten. Okay, so that way, the Jews recognize that imposters, people claiming to be the Messiah, people claiming to be the Christ could be rooted out and told, no, you don't fit. You don't match all those things that have been said. You can't be the Christ. You can't be the Messiah because you don't match. So the Messiah or the Christ could be identified. I want to use the story of a messianic Jew that's a Jewish man who grew up Jewish he grew up went into Hebrew school and then became a Christian I just want to share some incidents from his life because in an interview with him now that he is an absolute professor and legend and, and lectures on the subject he grew up in a Jewish home and he was asked what he'd learned about the promised messiah when he was growing up and his answer was I didn't Nothing ever was told about the Messiah by my parents. And actually, I don't think they even talked about it in Hebrew school. So they didn't talk about the verses in the Old Testament that talk about the Messiah. And when he was asked, was Jesus' name used? He said, yes, but only in a derogatory, insulting manner. The name of Jesus? We don't want to hear about Jesus. And that was his response. He grew up believing that God was a God of rules, that he was the God of the Ten Commandments, he was the God of following a set of of, uh, tablets of stone. And yet actually the God of the Bible, Old and New Testament, is a God that has always wanted to walk with us. He's a God who walked at the beginning and he walks and he's a God who wants to be personally involved. He's a God that loved the world, that he gave everything in his son for us. So he turned to Buddhism because he couldn't find this God in his Jewish roots. He couldn't find a God that could relate to his struggles, a God that was personal, a God that cared, a God that truly loved. So he turned to Buddhism and then he turned from Buddhism to drink, to drugs, to alcohol, and just decided to knock religion on the head. He recognised there was evil in the world. That was one thing. Do we recognise there's evil in the world? Pretty much. It's quite easy to see, isn't it? But he still wouldn't recognise a Messiah that has been, was born, that we celebrate at Christmas. So, in 1969, he encountered a man in California on Sunset Strip. This man was a pastor of a church and he'd set up a cross on the boardwalk and he'd chained himself to it because he was cross at something, sorry, he was angry. Let's not confuse my words. He was angry at something that had been done. He hadn't been allowed to do something. I think he wasn't allowed to tell people about Jesus. So he chained himself to a cross on the boardwalk and Lewis Lapidus went past and went, there is no God out there. He shouted at this man. He said, there is no God. I'm God, we're God, you're God. There is no other God. And he ranted and raved with the Eastern philosophies that he'd started to follow. And when the man said, but there's Jesus, he said, I can't believe in Jesus. I'm a Jew. Jesus. At which someone came to him and said to him, do you know the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament? And he went, no, should I? He said, well, yeah. So he agreed to read an Old Testament, because being Jewish, he was quite happy with the Old Testament scriptures. He was quite happy to read of Abraham and Moses. He was quite happy to read of David. He was quite happy to read of the history of Israel. He was quite happy because it's what he'd grown up with. And so he agreed that he would read the Old Testament, and he started searching. There's that word again, carefully investigating. Last week, with the eyewitnesses, the words came up, carefully investigating. And so Louis Lepides, this Jewish man, started to investigate. And he turned to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 was written over 700 years before the New Testament. Before Jesus was a, a twinkle in anyone's eye. <laughs> I've got to be careful what I say there. <laughs> Heretical. This was written over 700 years before Jesus. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 53. It says this, hopefully. Have we got the verses? I'll read it if I haven't. Oh, there we go. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Jesus was born in poverty. He had no beauty or majesty. He wasn't a king in a palace. He wasn't somebody with finery and robes. He was... Born in poverty, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So when you see these nativities of these beautiful blonde people, that's not what Jesus would have looked like. We've westernized everything. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Who does that remind you of? At a time when the man who came to say to the Jews, I am the Messiah, they rejected Turned their back on him. The whole of mankind, the Jews at that moment, shouted, crucify him, crucify him. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. We, this is Israel, this is the, the, the people of God, held him in low esteem, crucify him, crucify him. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions, iniquities, sins, all of those words mean the same thing, but pierced. Jesus had nails put through his hands and feet. He had a spear put in his side because his legs didn't need to be broken. That was unusual in itself in crucifixion. But bearing in mind, crucifixion hadn't been invented at this point. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What did Jesus say? Come to me. What did Jesus say? Believe in me. Carry on. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In other words, there's something coming where there's a way to be forgiven. There is a way, rather than the lambs of sacrifice, there's gotta be the lamb of God that will be saved, that will be slain for the sins of the world. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Do you know those eyewitnesses accounts that we talked about that were researched, that were carefully looked into? It tells us that when Jesus was was being punished, he didn't shout, scream, or say anything. He took it. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. In other words, he died. The transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Jesus didn't have money. He didn't have a tomb, yet when he was taken down off that cross, where was he put? He was put in a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He was put in the tomb of a rich man. Wow. And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, Jesus was tried three times by Pilate and Herod, and all, both, both men said, this man has done nothing wrong. Both of those men said, this man has done nothing. And here we see that he had done nothing. There was no deceit. There was no violence. He hadn't done a crime. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. In other words, he rose again so he will see the family of God that is the church. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. Justify means just as if I'd not sinned, to be made right, to be made okay, to be made whole again. What did Jesus come to do? To make us whole, to make us holy and to give us a second chance. After he suffered, he'll see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He bore the sin of the world, and he made a way for the many. Does that not sound like Jesus? yet this was 700 more years before Jesus existed. This is one chapter that Lewis came to and he read it and he was just like, wow. Wow. He suddenly realised as a Jew that had no interest in Jesus, who wasn't going to church, who had actually turned his back on everything, he read that chapter and he went, this is Jesus. A man who went, Jesus? He read that one chapter of scripture and went, this is is Jesus, no doubt about it. He'd seen statues in Catholic churches of a man on a cross with a crown of thorns on his head and he wondered, what on earth is that all about? Why do they celebrate a man that is dying? And he read that and realised he came to take the sin of the world. Wow. He was so taken aback by that one chapter before he carried on researching it was that he decided that Christians had taken the Old Testament and twisted the words of Isaiah, rewritten it, and become fraudulent about it. He, re- he thought Christians have twisted this. This can't be right. Surely, growing up in a Jewish home, knowing these scriptures, surely I would know these things. And yet, he decided to ask his Jewish stepmother, please, to send him a Jewish copy of the Old Testament scripture, And guess what he realized? It was exactly the same. Nothing had been changed. Nothing had been twisted. Nothing had been removed. He he hadn't been told about these predictions. He'd been through synagogue. He'd been through school. He'd never been told of these prophecies of the Messiah. So how could he recognize Jesus? How could he recognize the one that matched all those prophecies? Let's carry on. Isaiah revealed the manner of his birth. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Who did Jesus consistently claim to be? God. That's the reason he was put to death. No other reason. He claimed to be God. And so he was put to death. So, Isaiah chapter 7 tells you the, the situation of his birth. Micah chapter 5, verses 2 to 4, tells you the pinpoint of where he was going to be born. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small along the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Who's that talking about? Who's from of old that's going to come and rule? Who's from ancient of days? Who was there at the beginning of creation? Who was there from the very beginning till now? Jesus. Wow. Is that not exciting? Yeah. You don't have to say yes, you know, just because it's, like, it's not like Pavlov's dog. And I say, is it not exciting? And you go, yes. If you want to know Pavlov's dog, research it, okay? But I'm getting a little bit. Anyway, No. <laughs> Do you know, as I said at the beginning, there are more than four dozen major predictions in the Old Testament. That's major predictions, prophecies of of the Christ. There are more than four dozen major prophecies, okay? It tells you his ancestry in Genesis and Jeremiah, in other words, whose line he would be born in. It tells you individuals and tribes that he would come from. The Psalms said he would be betrayed and accused falsely. The Psalms talk about piercing his hands and his feet That's crucifixion. The Psalms tell us that the soldiers would gamble for his clothes. That's what happened. The Psalms tell us that he would be mocked and spat on and and, and whipped and beaten. It says in the Psalms as well that his resurrection, he wouldn't see decay but would ascend on high. And Lewis, this Jew that denied Jesus, that had turned his back, realised as he read the Old Testament that Jesus matched every single one more than 48 major prophecies. Do you know, the chances of those 48 things happening were beyond anybody's control. We'll come to that in a minute. He started telling people that he believed Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah, and eventually accepted him as his own Lord and Saviour. He met a woman called Deborah. He prayed for a wife. He met a woman called Deborah. He married her. or Before that, she was also Jewish, But she'd become a Christ follower. And she took him into her church. And there he met her pastor. And guess who her pastor was? The man that stood on Sunset Boulevard, chained to a cross. That Lewis had said, God, there's no God. Can you imagine his jaw dropping? And when we hear that fact, what do we think? Do we think, wow, Wow, One, one coincidence, and we go, wow. If you take the time to carefully research the Bible, if you take the time to read the Old Testament, you will find there are more than 48 wows that tell you who Jesus was. So don't be amazed by the wow that he walked into a church and there was a man who was a pastor there that he'd met and teased. Be amazed that the man Jesus matched all the prophecies. How amazing is that? absolutely amazing how encouraging if you're a christian this morning how exciting is it to know faith is not blind faith is not a leap in the dark faith is sure and certain and i need to get on okay <laughs> i was got to be quick this morning it's nearly finished me honest you can't do this quickly because there's so much stuff one main reason okay one main reason that others from jewish traditions don't look to jesus is because they don't Research and explore it for themselves. One main reason I give you that most of the people outside this door go, Jesus, is because they just listen to what they might have been told by somebody else. They don't research it for themselves. I am not standing here this morning expecting every person in this room or every person online to go, Well, Johnny said it, it must be true. Because do you know what? I can get things wrong, but you all could go and research it for yourself. And you know what you'll find? You'll find the same as everyone else who's done it, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is a match. There's a few reasons why people discount it. Number one, coincidence. Let me give you some facts. We've just had Laura think of a number. It was hard, wasn't it? Let's take eight prophecies. Do you think it's easy to match Eight. Right, so eight prophecies. Here's the statistics. That's a hard word to say. Eight prophecies to be true in one individual. The odds of it would be one in 100 million billion. Let me give you that pictorially. If you were to put silver dollar coins covering the state of Texas, they would be two foot deep on the whole of the state of Texas. If you marked one of them and said to somebody, go and have a wander around and pick one, and they got the one that was marked, that is the equivalent of one person matching eight major prophecies. Wow. How many major prophecies did we say there are in the Old Testament that Jesus matches? Over 48. Do you want to know what the chances of fulfilling 48? It's one in a trillion, 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 trillion. You may as well put a lottery ticket on if you've got those odds. I don't advocate gambling, sorry, but if you're going to do that, well. But Jesus matches all 48. Second thing that people say is that. People altered the Gospels to fit. We haven't got time to go into that. We did that last week. The Gospels are seen as authentic and accurate. The Gospels are recognised as being Gospel truth. Third thing, Jesus manoeuvred his way through to match those 48. That's what some people would say, that Jesus manoeuvred his way through. Jesus couldn't manipulate the 30 pieces of silver that Judas was paid for betraying him. There's one. Jesus couldn't manipulate the place that he was born. Jesus couldn't manipulate the line of people, tribes and kings that he came from. Jesus couldn't manipulate the circumstances of his birth. Jesus couldn't manipulate the method of his death. Jesus couldn't manipulate that the soldiers would sit at the cross gambling for his clothes. Jesus couldn't manipulate the action of those soldiers. He couldn't manipulate the piercing of his side. He couldn't manipulate the action of the soldiers. He couldn't manipulate the crown of thorns. He couldn't manipulate his resurrection. The book of Daniel even gives a time for the place for the time of his birth, a certain number of years after the reign of Artaxerxes. Guess when that was? Exactly when Jesus was around. Jesus couldn't manipulate it. So that argument is gone. So, fingerprint evidence is pretty much a slam dunk in court, isn't it? I'm not going to go on any more today. The fingerprint evidence is saying Jesus matches. He is unique. No one else in the whole of history has ever come close. Yet Jesus matches those one in a trillion, 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 trillion to the thirteen trillions. It is, by the way, if you want to count. Don't you think that's amazing? If you're a Christian this morning, that should thrill your heart. If this morning you're just here and you've been dragged or you doubt, don't just take my word for it. Read about it. The book, The Case for Christ, came from a journalist who was an atheist and wanted to prove to his wife it was all a load of nonsense. And he spent nine months. He was skilled. He was a journalist. He spent nine months digging up the truth. And at the end of the nine months, he just went. The evidence is overwhelming. So look for yourself. But this morning, can I just say, this Christmas could be the start of something special for you. Because for the first time, not only would you know the facts and the truth of Jesus, you might know him as your personal saviour. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to take communion. We're going to reflect as we take communion. But can I say to you, if you want to know more, if you want to say, actually, I need to make a decision, then go and see the prayer team.